Well, good morning. It's, it's truly good to be here with all of you. I love being with church family. I really do. Um, <clears throat> it's just, it's, it's a joy for me. It really is. And um, before I get started, I just want to take some time just to pray. I, I need more. I know we just got done praying, but I need more of his spirit to um, be with me here this morning. So just pray with me. Father, I just come to you again this morning and thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that when we lean into you, we can truly be heard by you. And Holy Spirit, come closer. Like the song said, I need you. I need you every hour. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I have been on this journey of learning to trust and learning to lean into the Father's heart. And um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to title my, our time together, I, is, does it feel like it's too loud? Okay, it, I, I feel like I'm shouting and I don't, I don't want to. Um, but <laughs> anyway, when I was thinking of how to title our time together, I was seeking the Lord, and one morning as I was awakening, I, the words, everyday God, came across my mind. And I thought, yes, that's it. Everyday God. I mean, that's, that's who he is to me. He's, he's in the everyday. And I, I had this picture of when I was a little girl and growing up. I remember coming home from school and asking my mom, should I put on my everyday clothes? And, you know, we lived on a farm, and so your everyday clothes were what you wore because you could get dirty in them, and it didn't matter um, what they looked like, in a sense. And I like to think that that's who God is to me, my Father in heaven, that he's there in the everyday. He sees me when I'm not put together and when when I am not at my greatest. And that's what I love about him. He's not just Sunday morning for me. And this morning as I share and share some testimonies, I for sure do not want you to feel like, oh, that's just who she is. She's passionate. You know, that's, that's just who she is. But it is my prayer that this morning you would realize it's for all of us. And the more we lean into him and the more we seek him, the more we become hungry for him and have that desire to spend that time with him and get to know him, um, it's, it's amazing, and he will drop things into your plate. Just for instance, this past week, as Mary Brubaker and I were heading home from Water Street, uh, we stopped in at Royer's Flower Shop. We love that little shop there in the city on Queen Street. I mean, there's just such a beautiful spirit in there. And as I was standing there at the register, uh, these three people come walking in, this man and, and another man and a woman, and they went right to the cooler, and they came back out with two big arrangements, three big arrangements, and the one in particular was just stunning. I mean, it was beautiful, and he went and sat it on the register for them to wrap, and I, and he stepped back, and he stood beside me, and I said, oh my word, I said, that is such a beautiful bouquet, and he looked at me real serious, and he said, yes, he said, today I'm going to say goodbye to my wife. It's for her, and I looked at him, and you know, with this, like, Oh, my word. And he said, maybe you saw in the news. He said she was the one who was in her bed and was shot accidentally by a neighbor on the other side of the wall. 
And I don't listen to, I'm not one that watches the evening news. I just don't. And, but I have the radio on periodically. And I remember a couple days before, and this is what God does, he highlighted that particular news to me. And I heard it that day. I remember thinking, oh, my word, that's on Liberty Street. And so I said to him, oh, the one on Liberty Street. And he said, yes. He said, that's where we live. And I, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, can I, can I just pray for you? I said, I, I want to pray for you. And he, and he said, yes, I would love that. And so after they were finished, uh, him and his, it was actually ended up being his brother who had flown home from Puerto Rico and, and a friend. And they came over and we just put arms around each other and I was able to pray for them. And that's what the father does. He knew that these people were hurting. And so he sent me there and I just happened to hear that on the news and, and felt the compassion. And this is what God does. And he wants to use all of us in the everyday. And the more we lean into him and really hear his voice, we're in tune with that. And we're walking in the spirit. We're not just walking in the flesh. If I was walking in the flesh, I would have gone in there, purpose to get what I was going to get. I would have never heard that this man needs prayer. And that's just how he does. Um, and so, anyways, I, I've, like I said, I've just really been having this desire to come closer and to hear his voice. And so, um, in 2016, the summer of 2016, was when I felt like the journey became more real to me. And um, I don't want to assume that everyone knows me. I know I grew up here and, and have come here all my life. But um, my husband, Bob, and I live in Mount Joy on a farm, and we have three sons that we've raised from boys to men to young men. And um, anyway, I love the whole um, thing of being a mother, but I'll be honest with you, I would often picture what it would be like when they would all leave, and it would just be Bob and I. Not that it would be just Bob and I, but, you know, <laughs> you, as a mother, you do find purpose in your children. And so it, it was in the spring of 2016 that our middle son, Philip, got engaged, and our youngest son was graduating from high school, and Travis, our oldest son, decided that um, he wanted to buy a house and move out. And... <laughs> And I was, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't real happy, but um, I knew that he was seeking the Lord on it, and I knew that God had a plan, and he did, because when he moved out in June, he found a girlfriend and ended up, they got engaged later and were married then the following May. But um, anyway, it was, so, so Travis moved out in June, and then in July, our tenant who lived next to us and had lived with us all the years that we were in the farmhouse for 15 years, but had actually lived there for, for 40 years. She was in her 80s and decided she was going to go to Brethren Village. So she moved out in July, and so she was my girl connection. And, and Ethan, we packed him up, and he moved out in August to college, up to Messiah. And Philip got married in October and moved out. And so I will say that the Lord gave me a softening of the blow and allowed Philip and Kayla to live next to, to us there in, in our uh, farmhouse. But nevertheless, um, and then like I said, Travis and Cameo were married in May. But there was this transition of all of a sudden it was down to Bob and I. And I remember the Monday after the wedding, sitting down in my prayer chair with the Lord and saying, Okay, God. It's me, you, and Bob. <laughs> and 
I am not going to look back. I had friends tell me, oh, you'll cry. It'll take you a year, da, 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 da. And I was like, nope. I, not that I'm not going to grieve it and not that I'm not going to focus on it. But, God, I wanted a higher purpose. I wanted a vision that you had for me of something greater in this next season. And I'm telling you, he hears the cries of our heart. And I'm not saying that I didn't have days where I didn't cry. I did, you know, as I would be working on my weddings and things. But um, it was really neat. Uh, The Lord began to just give me this burden to visit the elderly people of our congregation. I don't like to use that word because they're really not. I hope when I get to that age, I'm not elderly. But um, (laughs) anyway... They, uh, we decided, I, I mentioned it to Bob, and, and so that winter, in, after the holidays, we began in January, and we'd pick a week and um, contact anyone 80 and above. And let me tell you, it was one of the most amazing experiences. And, and for those of you who we have not visited, I know there's probably a few that are here that we haven't visited yet. We ran out of time in the spring, and so we're still working on it. We have a few yet to finish, but... We had an amazing time with these precious people. I'm telling you, they have so much history in them. And when they're gone, they're gone. And so if you love stories, if you love history, um, and even just to get to know them relationally was such a beautiful thing for Bob and I. One couple, for instance, that we visited uh, were married for 67 years. And they uh, were in their upper 90s. And little did we know that he would pass on a a month and a half later after we were there. We were so thankful that we had that moment to sit with him. It was Wayne Brubaker. And I remember one of his statements that he said that just spoke to me of just a testimony of his life was he would say, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And I thought, what a beautiful testimony. I mean, this is, this is what they say. They t- their stories are so rich. Another couple we visited um, after the time of stories uh, at 9 o'clock, they said, okay, let's go into the dining room. We're going to play cards. And Bob and I were like, we love cards. And so we, <laughs> we said, the night's young, you know, 9 o'clock. And uh, so we went in the dining room, and we played the Mennonite Rook. And it was men against women. I must say that the women won. But um, (laughs) anyway, we played cards. And then at 10 o'clock, she gets out the snack. And it wasn't just pretzels and drink. It was ginger ale, pretzels, ice cream, and cookies. And, uh, you know, here we are eating at 10 o'clock. And then, um, I mean, we needed energy to keep playing. And so we played cards right up till it was after 11 till we left. And um, we walked out of there again just saying, you know, these people are so precious. They, we had so much fun. They love to play cards. And um, another, I wish I could tell stories about every couple. I see some of these couples, and I wish I could st- tell stories about every one of them because they were all special. And uh, one evening, I'm, I went by myself um, and met with a group of five of widowed ladies that are from our congregation, from Landis Homes and Brethren Village. And we had such a precious time together. Um, Again, as I sat there, I saw such strength in these women. And I mean strength that I don't see today anymore. I'm sorry. But 
Um, and I pray for it, for this, the younger generation. And, and you can receive that when you lean into that and when you spend time with these people. Trust me. I remember before my grandmother passed away, just asking, I saw, always saw such strength in her and asking her for a portion, for a measure of her faith. And, um, but these women, they shared stories of losing their husbands, and not only losing husbands, but losing children, and just how they walked through that, and it was, it was just amazing. And I have a trivia question for you children, and, or for anybody, if you want to try to find out, but one of those women has been to Alaska over 10 times. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's just, just how what they have done over the years and the change they have seen, it's, it's just amazing. Another couple that we visited, on a weekly basis, they go to Park City, and um, they walk there at Park City. They know, know uh, the workers by name. They um, have prayed for people. People have asked, stopped them and asked them for prayer. And again, to, to Bob and I, they were such a living testimony of what it means to just be Jesus. And um, we, would, we had wonderful time just praying with each couple bef- and persons before we would leave. And for Bob and I, it truly enriched our marriage. And we loved, it, it, it was like the Lord was just preparing us to spend time together, just the two of us. And we, we loved it. And it became just a, a real part of my transition, our transition, I should say. And it made it so much easier. Okay, before we're going to turn now, we're going to transition a little bit here to uh, John 11. And, but, but before we go there, um, I want to look at the term believe. And, like, what does it take for you to believe in something or to believe in someone? You know, I feel like it's one of those terms that you can um, say with your mouth, like, I believe, and... And But, like, what does it really mean to believe? You know, for instance, in order for me to sit down in a chair, I have to trust in it. I have to know that it's going to hold me, and I have to believe that it can support me. And the same time with in believing in someone, you know, you're going to want to get to know them. You're going to want to spend time with them, build a relationship with them in order to believe in them. And... Um, they're, they're just some of the building blocks. You don't have to turn there, but I want to look at a verse in John 1, 12. And, in fact, it's up on the screen. And it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Did you know that the word believe is found 63 times in, the New, in John, just in John, in the book of John? And I believe that the Lord is working to bring us into a confidence of who he is to the level that we place our trust in him. It's not just this mental agreement, like I had said earlier, or doctrine or concept where we say, yes, Jesus is the son of God. Yes, we do need to confess with our mouth. I'm not saying that, that he is Lord. But there's so much more than that. It's not merely agreeing. Instead, and I think this is important, that it's casting the weight of our lives into a place of trust and abandonment to who he is. That word abandonment is surrendering, laying down everything, giving up everything of yourself. And so looking again at that verse, yet to all who received him, 
You can only receive him to the measure you trust him. You can only receive him to the measure that you trust him. And it's in the receiving of him that gives us the authority to become something. Like as in this verse, we become mirrors of his nature. We become sons and daughters. So it's only in the measure of abandonment and trust, laying everything down and believing in him. In other words, believing that I represent his nature well. When we truly believe who he is, when we truly have confidence in him as Lord, and we understand his character, when we get to know him, that's why we have to spend time with him. We can't think that we can believe in something that we don't know. And so when we truly believe in him, um, then we represent who he is. Then Christ is in us, and we become that hope of glory. When Jesus walked the earth, he gave his life in total abandonment to the Father. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. And so he was this walking example when he walked this earth. And when we read all through the New Testament, what he was like, he was this, uh, what God, what he, he showed us what the Father is like. Now let's turn with me to John 11. And we're going to look at these 44 verses. And I know it's a lot of verses, but we're just going to go down through and, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in this. And for you children, I love the kids. And um, I want you to look while we go through, when he puts up the verses, just in the verses that we're going to be doing, reading from today in, in John, you see how many times you see the word believe. It can be in the term believed or believe, or believing, but you count, and then you come to me afterwards and see how many you found, and I'll see if you're correct. So, um, beginning in verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I love how Jesus had this ability to make whoever he was with, the person, feel. He he had this ability to to fully, uh, so fully to a person, to give himself, I'm sorry. He had this ability to give himself so fully to a person that they thought he was their favorite. You know, even the writer John would often say, John, the disciple Jesus loved. Jesus had this way of making people feel like they were his best. Continuing on in verse 4. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I would like to point out that when you know what our Father is like, you know that delayed answers are never punishment, but for greater glory. Remember, abandonment and trust is only as good as his character. To the measure that you know that he is good, to the measure your faith will explore. Let me, let me think about that a little bit. For instance... You know, this whole thing of healing, it's, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it can be controversial, you know, like, 
Does he heal? Doesn't he heal? Is it his will or isn't his, his will? Well, when Jesus, again, do we believe, and I believe, that when Jesus walked this earth, everything he did is a standard, is an example of, of a life representing the Father. And so when Jesus was here, he was 100% in his, when he touched people, when he prayed for people, they were healed. Now, he didn't, he didn't heal everybody. He didn't touch everybody. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want it bad enough, and he knew that. But everyone that he did touch and everyone that he prayed for got healed. So I know it's his will. So I can pray in confidence, and I know it's his will to heal. Whether he heals on this earth or heals in heaven, that's his choice. I mean, that's, that's where the sovereignty of God comes in. But I do know it's his will. So I can, I can pray, Father, I know it's your will to, to heal. But whether you choose to do it here on this earth or in heaven, you know, to God be the glory. And so it's, again, learning to know his character. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's really learning to know that, not that he just heals, but that he is the healer. And that he loves because he is love. And that he provides because he is the provider. That's who he is. It's his character. And so, you know, and we're just blessed to get the, the byproduct of who he is. So this issue of Jesus staying two more days, we've all been there. When our prayers weren't answered when we thought they should have been. I'll be honest with you. I don't like delayed answers. I don't like when I don't hear instantly or I don't see results. Um, so why did he wait? This possibly could it be that this situation required a deeper and darker journey to bring everyone to a level of trust that represented him so that the people could get to a point where they would say, okay, this is who he is. This is how he trusts, how we trust in him. Continuing now in verse 7, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. <clears throat> and his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps... He will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I mean, it's like those disciples are so much like us, I feel like, in so many ways. You know, sometimes we just don't get it. So he has to say things to us plainly. So he said it to him plainly. He said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't, wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, you know, the one who just, he just, I, again, you know, he just didn't seem to quite catch it. But he said, Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we might die with him, that we may die with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. I wanted to give a little bit of background on the, the Hebrew culture. They believed that the spirit stayed around the body for three days in the Hebrew culture. 
And so Jesus needed to break that barrier so that they would never come back after they'd see him raised from the dead and they would reason it out with their minds and say, well, you know, the spirit was there. So that's why he waited four days. Okay, continuing on. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And, he, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You know, Jesus wasn't just teaching Martha a theological lesson. He was trying to ignite her heart in hope that her brother would live now. Continuing on. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I, th- I think in, um, I just thought of this, I think in, in the King James Version it says groaned, um, if I'm right. And, yeah, and you just realize again the travailing spirit that was in Jesus to you know, sometimes when we don't have words in that moment, you know, it's, it's in that groaning where the Spirit prays for us. And um, so Jesus was deeply moved and came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man by this time... But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So let's just uh, talk about that last phrase there, um, about the glory. Jesus comes into the most impossible situation that this culture had ever experienced, and he said, If you believe, you'll see the glory of God Could it be that it wasn't just the resurrection of a loved one that Jesus was proving, but that his real focus was the glory of God to be seen in the earth was because there's a people who believe? That is my prayer for us here. Could that be said of us? That when people come in here, they see the glory of God on us or, or sense his presence because we're a people that truly believes with trust and abandonment. 
Remember, it's not a concept. This is a lifestyle of total abandonment, abandonment to a relationship with one who is trustworthy. We were designed to live in the glory. We see that in the beginning with Adam and Eve. And the scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the Father's heart that the whole earth be filled with the the glory of the Lord. Picking up then in verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out, called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love Jesus' final command to take off the grave clothes and let him go. How often have we been resurrected and set free of bondage, but continue to live in old grave clothes? The enemy so easily convinces our mind of our weakness and our inability to walk out our freedom. I personally can identify with this in so many ways, and if only we could remind ourselves of God's promises, such as we are a new creation, the old is gone, and also another promise that by his stripes we are healed. The scriptures full of his promises. Are you one who has come here this morning with disappointment that God hasn't come when you thought he would? You, you have lost your trust. I mean, life is hard. There's days when it's unbearable. And it's in that, those days that we truly do have to purpose to renew our mind, to get back to our focus of who God is, and then to just lay it all down and to fully trust or maybe you're one who is, who is here and you're a restorer. One who helps people see what they have become, help, helping them to see that this is not who they are. Helping them to unravel what has, has them bound. God wants to bring all of us into a greater glory to be able to tell a better story. Will you trust him? For me, it's a continued journey, a daily renewing of my mind, a daily surrendering to the one who I believe in is fully trustworthy.